2: live in
0: five
2: four
3: three.
2: Well 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 good evening everybody and welcome to another edition of corner to corner wrestling radio We are live through spreaker.com through Amazon iTunes. Spotify, Pandora, and the list goes on. And man, we got a lot to talk about. I am Stan Grub. My tag team partners, as always, Rob Hafner.
4: What is up to the people? I hope everybody's doing great.
5: We've got a great show.
2: And of course, Brian Taylor.
5: Yeah, I don't, I don't have that guy's enthusiasm. <laughs> How are you going?
2: Got to match the energy, buddy. <laughs> Read the room.
3: No, I, I, I can't match that energy.
2: And we are, of course, joined by, uh, hey, frankly, a wrestling simulation legend, an icon of industry when it comes to game development, and not just that, but an all-around great guy. And he's giving us some time late night from overseas in Germany. I'm talking about none other than Oliver Kopp. Mr. Cop. thank you so much for joining us tonight, or this morning. Well, thank
1: you guys. It's my pleasure. And Hey, guys. How is everybody? I'm doing fantastic to
5: you. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's... Um, I
1: mean, what, what else would I be doing at 2.30 in the morning? It's, it's perfect.
2: I, I couldn't think of anything else. I'm a night out myself, though, cause, <laughs> so I'm always up. <laughs> I hardly ever sleep as it is. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, before we dive into our interview, and we do have a lot to talk about, I wanted to start with, uh, unfortunately, some unfortunate news that we found out this afternoon. Um, a an icon of of wrestling in in, in the independents here in the United States, known very well throughout Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and the Carolinas. I'm talking about Jimmy Rave. Uh, He had a stint in Ring of Honor, a stint in TNA, as they transitioned into um, Impact, becoming the Impact brand. Uh, We found out today that after just multiple challenges that he's faced from um, from COVID, not, I'm sorry, not COVID, but MRSA, I apologize, uh, but also just he had to have two legs amputated. This is a guy that really had a hell of a lot of challenges uh, to get through what he did. He was wheelchair bound last we had read, of course, and um, tremendous showing of support throughout Twitter, Facebook, you you name the social media medium. Uh, there's been a lot of Thoughts and, and prayers and other stories sent out about Mr. Rave. So Jimmy Rave uh, passed away today, and in you know in memory of him, I do have us queued up here for a ten bell salute. I'm going to go ahead and play this. We'll we'll give it a moment of silence, and then we'll come back in with uh, Mr. Cop. So again, we're going to do a ten bell salute and our respects and our thoughts and prayers go out to Mr. Rave and his family. okay and again that's <clears throat> ten bell for Mr. Jimmy Rave and our thoughts go out to his family and to his friends and of course his colleagues. I <clears throat> always hate to start shows off like that but uh, it's important to me that we're able to pay respect to you know guys that have have traveled up and down the highways just to you know, put their bodies on the line and give us the entertainment that we that we seek and as wrestling fans that uh, we clamor for. But the purpose of tonight, and I'm I'm so excited to have this guy on because this is one of those things where we've all played TNM throughout all, most of our fandom from the <laughs> 90s all the way through. Um, I can remember seeing this pop across a DOS prompt and just think to myself, wow, I never even knew <laughs> that DOS was capable of anything like that. And I don't even care that the nerddom of me is showing right now because, I mean, I never had any clue that anything like this was even possible. Mr. Cop. The, the the first question that just jumps off the page right off the bat, man, what What inspired you to create TNM?
1: Well, back in the day, it really wasn't possible to, to, to have Hulk Hogan wrestle Bret Hart or Randy Savage wrestle Ric Flair or... You know all these different matches of people from different promotions against each other really didn't happen. I mean, people from all Japan versus people from New Japan. So the idea was basically to come up with a with a with a simulation that would take those 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 pairings and come up with the matches and just tell us is Jake the Snake Roberts really better than Mitsuharu Misawa, or is Tatsumi Fujinami gonna beat Hulk Hogan for the title? You know that 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 was the the original idea. It was it used to be basically come up with a 32 man tournament, and run that at infinitum. So that's basically how it got started. It just grew from there, and ended up getting me in trouble with my with my university admin at the time after I put a download link up on the internet, and (laughs) that was at a time when um, the entire university was hooked up to the internet with a two megabit line. Oh wow! I don't, think I, I don't think I need to mention what happened next. <laughs> <laughs> Whoop! I can, I can hear that scream for three miles. <laughs> Who clogged up our line? So yeah, that's how it all started. I can uh, re- with some cuss words and some internet. No, <laughs> <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> welcome to the internet. That was pro- perhaps the first online troll.
2: <laughs> how how long did it take you when you first put the first iteration of this together? How long did it
1: take to write? I'd probably say about three to four months because mostly I I, I was able to go off of a wrestling role playing game that we had created, like a tabletop role playing game. Really? And yeah, it was called Battle League, and I I used to play that with a couple of friends during during university, which is pretty cool because we kind of we kind of did AEW style back in the nineteen nineties. And so it, it's kind of funny to see that come around now and be one of the more popular styles in wrestling because we did it in the 90s, you know, even if only virtually. We had the craziest characters and people were flying all over the place. And we actually had a Jim Cornette type of character as one of the announcers who just kept constantly bashing the, the product over and over. So <laughs> it was great. It was great fun. And very true to life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen... I know everybody or a lot of folks have a, have a problem with Jim Cornette being anti-AEW in the beginning, but um, he just likes what he likes. You know, he's mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but he's one of one of the older folks in, 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 wrestling. And he has a very specific view of what he enjoys. I mean, he used to hate ECW for instance, back in the day when everybody thought it was hot shit. So that kind of shows you how, how Southern centric and how 80 centric his his taste in wrestling really is. And all that said, he makes several good points. You know, it's it's not like whatever he says is automatically a troll or anything. A lot of the stuff he says is true, especially about the referees and you know, people just kind of looking stupid when when people are just tagging in and out without actually tagging and staying in the ring for 30 seconds. It's a it's a, it's a learning experience. I I think there's value in in a lot of the stuff that he says, obviously without the personal attacks. As funny as they may be at times, but um yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking no about we're talking about a guy that is, has so much that he's done throughout the business, so he feels the way he's going to feel regardless of what me or you or Paul Heyman or Vince Russo. I know that's kind of a buzzword for him, but anyway, you know, seriously, it is. It's he's going to feel the way he feels regardless.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he has a right to. You know, I, I enjoy listening to his podcast still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy listening to his thoughts. I, I enjoy listening to his. To his ideas about wrestling, not a, again. Not everything he su- he suggests is going to be an automatic miss. A lot of the stuff he says, there's value in that. And I think um, there's value in listening to people who dissent. And I think that's that's one of the lessons we really should be learning in 2021. So, when you started
2: getting this off the ground, you said you were in school. You were playing tabletop wrestling. Who who was your favorite wrestler back in the day?
1: Well, it depends. Are we talking? Are we talking U.S. wrestling? Are we talking Japan? What are we talking here? Because it's really impossible to, to just list one person. Hmm. Well, but let's. If you're going to put a gun to my head, I'm going to say Macho Man Randy Savage. Okay.
2: Okay. I'm a big fan of uh, you know some from column A, some from column B kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of good in all of that. Macho Man, of course, is you know tremendous. What was your favorite? Who was your favorite in Japan?
1: This is probably going to surprise you, but I'm going to say Hiroshi Hase. Oh wow! Just because not because he was the biggest star, but because he was really good at making everybody look good. Mm-hmm. You know, he he, he was kind. Of, I'm not. This is not an insult. I felt he was kind of like New Japan's version of Tito Santana, just with a bigger push. You know, somebody who could have no. a good match with anybody.
2: He was also one of those people that that it didn't matter. You have very few that are out there that it doesn't matter if they win or lose. The, the bottom line was how the
1: match went. Yeah, exactly. I mean when his opening theme hit, when his walkout song hit, mm-hmm. like, I was hyped every time. plus his incredible crispness in the ring just just really made it made him a joy to watch to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's a cool dude as well. God tell, God tell, even though he, he did pretend he didn't speak English. Until I called him on his bullshit.
2: Oh, no. Wait, what? Okay. Now we have to ask. What happened here? He pretended he well, didn't uh, speak English.
1: <laughs> okay, so I went to a, to, a, to a couple of the the Koraken Hall shows and Tokyo Dome shows with a few friends from the U.S. And in 2000, I just happened to, to bump into Hase on an elevator at Koraken Hall. And I said hi and was really respectful. And he was like, oh, like, gesturing like he didn't understand English. And I, I basically told him to, to cut the shit because he used to be in Stampede Wrestling. He speaks perfect English. Kind of, kind of cracked. He kind of cracked his mouth cracked up. And then we spent spent the next twenty minutes walking to Akihabara, which is the electronics mecca in Tokyo, and not that far from Cor Ken Hall. And just shooting the shit, which was pretty cool because I again I used to be a huge fan of his. That was quite a kind of a highlight. Damn, to
4: call him out, man. No, you can do that. <laughs> it's, it's, now, it's, I will it's, say that us as fans here in the U.S., there's been a couple of times where we've said something while we're at a live event that caught some talent off guard. Like, I remember when we were at a WWE live event and we called Xavier Woods by his previous ring name from another federation. And we just yelled it and he just stopped in the middle of the ring, looked at us, gave a smirk, and kept going.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a smarky thing to do. <laughs> but hey, guilty as charged, right? Oh.
4: Sometimes it's fun to take, you know, the other side of the argument, you
3: know?
1: Yeah, Can't
4: do it bad. much I anymore guess. because people get mad, but, you know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know that a lot of wrestlers you really used to dislike getting called by their real names or by their former names because, you know, they're like, okay, I know you're smart you know you're smart, get over it, you know, yeah. get, get on with the program. But I think wrestling has changed a lot in the past 20 years.
4: That is a definite, definite, definite. Now, what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen with the game? Cause the game has been around for over 20 years. And so like, what are some challenges you've had to face with the changing tide in wrestling?
1: Well, you you basically just summed it up already. Um, TNM basically has a wrestling style from the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, and it's really kind of an anachronism in 2021 because the wrestling style has changed so much. And it's, It's still like there have been tens of thousands of hours put into simulating wrestling back as it was back then, and it's not something you could just update to 2021 wrestling easily because the basics are completely different. So for many people who pick up TNM today, they're like, whoa, this kind of feels like a throwback. You know, it's not the fast bang, bang, bang style you get from, say, AEW today or, or, or AAA today. Or even, even back in the day, it was difficult mixing and matching people from lucha promotions with American wrestlers, with Japanese wrestlers, because the match psychology was completely different in each. So I, I really tried to, to bring everything into the U.S. style, if that makes any sense.
3: Yeah,
4: makes perfect sense.
1: Mostly because most of my, my target audience is in North America and always has been.
2: Yeah, you, you, you mentioned that. You, you're in Germany now, but you're originally, you, you told me you're from El Paso, is that correct?
1: That's correct, I grew up in El Paso. My dad used to be stationed at Fort Bliss, which used to be a shared base between the U.S. Army and the German Air Force for like 50 years. So my parents are both actually German, ethnically. But, wow. yeah, I grew up in El Paso. Actually, just like t- literally four houses down from the Guerreros. Oh, wow. Which was funny because I didn't know anything about wrestling back in the day. But uh, in hindsight, it was, a, like, it was kind of like an aha moment.
2: Are there things that you can remember interacting with them, even just outside of wrestling, just that stand out to you now? I
1: i i remember um hanging out with chavo on the playground a couple of times but um we were a couple of years apart so there really wasn't that much interaction you couldn't call us friends or anything mm-hmm. we, we did become friends back back when he was in, in in wcw and the wwe later on but um yeah there really wasn't much and i also never ran into bruce pritchard if that was gonna be the next question
4: so did you ever have a moment with chavo and wwe or whatever when time on the slide was
1: (laughs) (laughs) cool. not really really. but to be completely honest it's kind of an icebreaker when you're from the same area Mm -hmm. because for whatever reason you kind of build rapport pretty easily and chavo and eddie have always been great to me so i'm never gonna say one bad word about them even if they did beat me up on the playground (laughs) (laughs) just kidding by the way that never (laughs) happened
4: it's like as long as they didn't do a frog splash from the jungle gym, I think you're
1: okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, it would be worse if I gave them a, a, a frog splash, because other than other than them, I can't do it properly, and I would probably splash the hell out of them. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there was going to be this great wrestler named Eddie
1: Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, Eddie's still a sore spot in my heart. He was one of the main reasons why I stopped watching wrestling, and you know, when he passed on, and then went Benoit. Did what he did—that yeah. was kind of the nail in the coffin for me.
2: Do you still not
1: watch? Well, no, I stepped away from wrestling for about 15 years, with the mm-hmm. exception of doing some stuff in WWE back in the, back in the day. Mm-hmm. But um, AEW brought me back, and like uh, my good friend and broadcast partner Mike and I were sent to to Vegas to cover Starcast and do interviews, mm-hmm. like on camera interviews for for a German television network. And um, I had such a great time there that just kind of brought me back into the fold not not necessarily for WWE programming or or much other programming but I, 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 I've watched every, every single minute of AEW's programming since they started and see for me personally when, when people ask me do you enjoy something I'm like okay do I feel better afterwards than I did going in and for AEW I could always say that that's been the case with every single episode do I like everything no I think nobody does like everything, but I always feel entertained and there's always something that kinda that kinda really gets me into it. For instance Hook's debut just a couple of days ago. Oh. Like that's something that that wouldn't have wouldn't have happened in any other promotion in this way.
2: No. And it certainly wouldn't have had the cult response. I don't know if you can call it cult response, the wide response, the positive response that it had. I mean i I absolutely agree with you that it, it is even on shows where we, we do we, we consistently review their their product, and anytime we have a show that they've done that that's we'll just say not a plus is still like no, but it was still a good show. If the worst thing you can do is complain about x, y, or Z, then you're still coming away with a really good feeling for the for the product overall.
1: Well to me the thing has always been about respecting people who watch your product. Mm-hmm. And not for a second have I felt that Tony Khan didn't respect his, his viewership. But, yeah. there's, but there've been so many times when they did something that didn't kinda of, didn't quite land and they took the feedback from people to heart, pivoted, and actually made it work. Yeah. And that's kinda of something I respect because it shows it shows a certain passion for the pro- product and it shows a certain respect for people watching it. And that's overall that's that's just something I, I really appreciate after after many many years of dealing with the wwe bullshit and um well before that wcw and uh, to be fair as as screwed up as wcw was doing the end they always gave us completely free reign to do whatever we wanted with the product over in germany which is different from what wwe does for instance because basically with wwe you were, you were supposed to take their tapes do voiceovers and air them as they were whereas wcw said hey if the if you guys don't like something just rearrange the shows Take out segments, do whatever the hell you want, it's yours. Wow. Really? Well they they understood that really you can't you can't put an American product into other countries unchanged and it's gonna resonate as much as it does in the US. That's a that's a point that neither neither um, WWE nor the UFC really have understood. But WCW got it. They understood. And they allowed us to make to turn raw to turn Nitro and Thunder into into the best products we could with the material we were given to work with. I,
2: I know that it's been a while, but is there an example that you can give us of how it was laid out when they sent it to you versus how you changed it?
1: Well, just in general, there was so much nonsense going on on Nitro, and we kind of distracted people from it by by staging feuds between the announcers or just, just coming up with some pop culture stuff to you know, just glaze over. Glaze people over so they kind of forget what's going on on screen right now. <laughs> um, there's stuff we there's stuff we, we completely cut, but I, I can't really go into any specifics. As you said, it's been twenty twenty five years. I, I oh, hardly yeah. remember remember what I did last week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so um, I d- go ahead, Rob. Sorry, go ahead, sorry.
4: No, I was gonna say like we were talking about T N M, but like now you you said that you did some announcing and stuff. What other kind of positions and, and cool things have you done within the wrestling business that may, a lot of people who follow TNN may not know about?
1: Um, I, I distributed Smoky Mountain tapes officially back when Smoky Mountain was, was, was available and was, was active. Distributed them in Europe. I um, did announcing for ECW. I announced for WCW. I announced for AAA. Um, after that, I, I went and worked for the UFC for 15 years took over their editorial stuff over in Germany, did the, did the announcing. I'm currently doing AEW Rampage commentary two out of three weeks, and I'm, I'm basically the third wheel on the two-man announcing booth on Dynamite. So I basically substitute in when somebody goes on vacation or is unavailable for any reason. I currently do Impact Wrestling pay-per-view commentary over in Germany. I do Triller Fight Club commentary um yeah that's that's pretty much what's what's going on at the moment
4: so nothing you're just sitting at home
1: (laughs) pretty much well to be be fair i've been sitting on my ass for the past two years now due to covid but and not not being able to travel but my typical year is about 300 days of travel and like 60 days at home so I'm, i'm after having done that for 20 years i'm kind of enjoying being home more and actually actually paying for my apartment for a reason you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I've been busy. I've, I've kept busy, and that's a good thing. That's awesome. Okay. Without
2: getting too inside baseball, are you able to tell us a little bit about the creative process for what you do with AEW?
1: Well, I I don't work for AEW per se. I work for okay. Warner. Oh, okay. So basically, we get contracted by by the television stations airing stuff. So you don't usually you don't work directly for the promotion. You work for their local broadcast partner, which in our case used to be TNT Germany, which has been rebranded to Warner TV Germany. Mm-hmm. And basically they they give us free reign to 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 put the shows together properly and do whatever we need to do. I mean, we've been doing this for 25 years. Mike Mike has been in re- doing just wrestling for 25 years. Um, Gunther, the other main guy, used to be WWE's main announcer back in the 90s and 2000s, so he's been around the block and a half. So they basically just tell us, hey, guys, they take the WCW approach. You guys do with the product as you feel you need to do. And it's, it's, it's worked so far.
2: It's got to be refreshing when they tell you, hey, just take your creative license, do what you think will make the show the best.
1: I agree. Because every market is different. You know, people from France are going to respond differently to a product than people from Germany, from different African nations from the U S from Japan and one size fits all just doesn't fit Mm -hmm. in wrestling because it's about storytelling and storytelling requires a certain base understanding that everybody shares. But if you're working from a North American perspective, it's difficult really to translate some of the stuff to other countries, unless you really make an effort to explain and to give people a, a basis that makes any sense. Who broke you in when it came to broadcasting? As in the station or the product? Who gave you your start? Yeah. Either one. Yeah, I, 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 got, I got a call. I used to do a wrestling, well, not a wrestling, an MMA hotline. Basically, there used to be a thing called the World of Wrestling Hotline, which had sections for WWF, WCW, ECW, and one of those was shoot fighting back then, and I did that for a couple of years. And then I got a call to ECW, which I absolutely hated back in the day. Really? And that was very much a I was very much in camp Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and I really wanted to announce Smoky Mountain. But then they called me and gave me ECW, so that's what I ended up doing. And then the Steel Timber Sports Series, which I really enjoyed. Because basically I got a call on a Friday from the head announcer at the station that I was working for at the time. And he said, hey, are you free tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah, why? Oh, yeah, just come by the studio. We'll do something fun. So I walk in there and I ended up doing 12 hours of steel timber sports series. Now, mind you, I'd never seen that sport in my life. I had no idea who the athletes were, zero clue about the rules or anything else. But I had the time of my life doing that. It was really the first time I felt comfortable doing announcing because I didn't have any preconceived notions and I didn't have any knowledge of that sport. That really allowed me to transfer that to wrestling as well. Because in the beginning, I really had trouble escaping my quote unquote expert role. You know, from moving from being an analyst to being on air talent was a challenge for me because I'm an introvert at heart, and I don't really enjoy being the center of attention. So, that was kind of a rough transition at the beginning.
2: And of course, you know, still, still timber sports, steel timber Timber sports is lumberjack competition. Exactly, it's perfect. Wow,
1: (laughs) I still enjoy the hell out of it. That's... I did that for like 13 years. That should tell you all you need to know.
2: And it must have been absolutely enthralling then.
1: Oh, dude. I'm still a huge fan. I mean, I don't really follow the sport anymore these days, but yeah, I was really impressed with people who are 6'5 and 320 pounds doing a springboard chop, where they basically ram boards into, into, a, into a long log, vertical log, and just climbed the damn thing so they can basically chop it through at the top I'm like, okay, I'm not, I wouldn't go up there for one second. <laughs> and you have a New Zealander who is basically... Oh, fun fun story. We hosted the European Championships in 2000. Mm-hmm. And we were hoping we might get maybe 1,000 people coming by over the course of the weekend. We ended up with 150,000 people, which was huge at the time. And That's huge any time. Exactly. The Oktoberfest was going on at the time, so a couple of the athletes... The day of the competition, they went to the Oktoberfest in the morning and got, got more or less wasted. And there was one, one, one New, Ze- new Zealander. Um, his name was Jason Winyard, huge, six five, three hundred twenty pound guy. He had, I think, five or six big steins. And that beer packs a punch. And like literally six hours later, he set two new world records. So yeah. Wow! I mean, imagine imagine getting completely blitzed and then breaking your own world records.
2: <laughs> well, sometimes you got to be a little bit less inhibited, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess
1: that explains Nick Diaz. Oh, oh, wow! <laughs> so
4: that comment. So, what kind of health regime and and what kind of health regime and healthy eating did you do before this world record?
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh I had I pu- I packed some German beer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got drunk something.
4: so I couldn't find my feet, and I threw
1: it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that beer packs a punch. It's like nine percent. So, yeah, I I personally have never have never had more than three steins, and those were plenty.
2: So I was I was doing some research. You sent me some great information today, and I thank you for that because it does make it easier. You know, I get to avoid my normal resource of cagematch.net. But I found something that that honestly surprised me. And this is that in 2001, there was going to be an event in Germany for WCW called Odyssey that you were working with. I guess you were working with WCW at the time.
1: That's correct. Wow. So. 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 yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, can, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, uh, it's kind of a long story because we were part of the financing for Eric Bischoff's group that tried to dive to buy WCW, the Fusion Media Group. So we put up part of the financing because we wanted to move more of WCW to Germany, and Odyssey Two Thousand One was supposed to be the the first post-Turner WCW pay-per-view from Germany. We had a pretty pretty cool stuff lined up for the show, but um, it, it never really got off the ground for obvious reasons because mm-hmm. we did negotiate with the WWF afterwards after they bought WCW, and we did come close to getting a deal. And this is a shoot, by the way. This is not me just uh, pulling stuff out of my ass, but we had... People from WWE come visit us on a, September 10th, 2001. We got a deal ready on a napkin on September 10th. And the next morning, we were trying to um, trying to, basically cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in our conference room with the WWE folks. And um, yeah, our, our secretary walked in and, and turned on the TV without saying a word. And yeah, we watched a plane crash into the World Trade Center. Wow, And the WWE folks had a huge, had huge trouble even getting back home for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And the deal kind of fell by the wayside and we never really been, went back to, to trying to get a new deal after that. There's I still help. a lot of stuff that I, I want to talk about, but I'm still bound by an NDA from back then. Oh, sure. 2026. Wow. Have you ever given any consideration?
4: (laughs) There you go. I might actually
1: I might actually write a book about the real story of the WCW scale. When I can but right now I I still can't share a lot of the stuff that that actually went on behind the scenes back then and it really hasn't ever been reported. It's
4: CAs are great when you're on the other side, but they're not when you're on this side of it.
1: Exactly. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna screw around with an NDA that carries a potential seven figure fine. Whew.
4: Especially since he likes his checks and that would be a check he would want written.
1: That's true. And one I couldn't write, so there you go.
4: (laughs) Oh I thought you wanted money. You wanted
1: Oh yeah, dude. (laughs) There's so much money in in wrestling broadcasting you have no idea. And I'm kidding, by the way. So
5: <laughs> I, I, have I, a question. Up. I have a question, right? So this whole time I've been listening, right? I've been absorbing and I'm just fascinated now, right? After hearing what you've said, did you ever at any point in your college, right? When you were, when you were, I'm, I'm assuming a wrestling fan by now and you were doing tabletop games and you were creating this M, did you ever... For a moment, fathom anything remotely close to what what you've explained happened after this period, with becoming uh, the broadcaster. You know what you just told us about WCW. Did you ever? I mean, did your dreams ever get that high?
1: Well, yes and no. Um, On the one hand, you know when when I was in in, in the German version of high school, basically. after you graduated there was a sort of a magazine or sort of a, a yearbook let's let's call it a yearbook and the people who put it together actually put in there that i was going to be a wrestling broadcaster one day so there there was the goal of doing that but you know i i grew up on world class obviously being from from texas and when i came to germany the the only wrestling i could watch on tv was wwf and uh, as much as i hated it in the beginning I it kind of grew on me after I saw Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboats and Roddy Piper and Tito Santana, all those guys. So to answer your question around about roundabout way I did want to become a broadcaster, I did not want to become a broadcaster for any, anybody but the WWF. And the irony of all ironies is that the one promotion I never did any commentary for ended up being the WWF. And it it was by choice. I was offered to come in as a broadcaster in 2003, but I had two offers on the table. I had the option of doing WWF or the option of, you know, forgetting about wrestling for a while and joining the UFC. And I did the latter, and I haven't looked back since. Those were some of the most enjoyable years of my life
2: when UFC has taken off like a rocket. I can remember when it was in its infancy, and it was you know the Gracies, and it was the Shamrocks, and now it is just such a huge global, I mean, phenomenon that I I, I can't say I disagree with the uh, logic behind going with them because it's it was huge, and especially in '03, you, you had a lot to really gain from going there.
1: Well, yeah, but nobody knew at the time that it was going to be as big as it was going to be. That mm-hmm. didn't happen until really 2005, you know, with, with the Ultimate Fighter. But um, there, there's a bit of a backstory because my, my when my dad was in, in Fort, was stationed in Fort Bliss, he knew Randy Couture back then. Or, I mean, nobody knew that Randy was going to become a big star at, at any point. But Randy was in basic training while my dad was stationed there, and they went to the same rotten Gun Club and. Then I kind of found out that Randy went into the UFC. So that kind of intrigued me right away. And um, th- that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to become a broadcaster for the UFC and why for many, many years, my main goal was to take the UFC over to Germany, both on TV, which was going to be a challenge because Germany is a very violence-averse culture these days. And people have been have been taught to reject violence, So obviously combat sports isn't going to be a huge deal and you're going to get a lot of flack, but, um, I really wanted to do that. And it it really was a really good time in my life. I I particularly enjoyed being able to, to get to know Brock Lesnar better during that time. And, um, what's that? I I got to chop. It was, he was intimidating at first because he knew me from WWE and if you know Brock, you know that once he closes the door on something, he really doesn't want to associate with people from that. And mm-hmm. um, he saw me at the UFC, and uh, yeah, he was like, "What are what's that guy doing here? But it only took a couple of months until he started trusting me a bit more, and he's a good guy. Brock's a really good guy. I got to say he's one of the most loyal people I, I think there exists in wrestling. And in my opinion, he's a generational talent as far as being an, an athlete is concerned. And he's—he's, he's, I think, the only person I can think of who is in video games for three different sports franchises. Th- that's right. Huh. He did have a brief stint in Madden. I think he's still on the roster. At least I, he was last year because I—I still have that on my on my PlayStation Four. Wow. <laughs> So he's he's definitely crossed over. But, I mean, obviously he wasn't a big deal in the in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I did enjoy reading about him sacking his, his main quarterback a couple of times too many. <laughs> Do you guys know the story? He was the last person cut before the season started, back, back when he kind of walked onto an NFL team. Obviously he was a publicity stunt. Mm-hmm. But he was also more athletic than most of the guys on their roster, which was really interesting. His vertical jump was nothing to sneeze at, for instance, but a former colleague of his, a teammate of his, told me that he was just too rough with everybody because Brock only knows two speeds. Stop and go. There's nothing in between. Now, which, let's see, I, I
2: don't remember. I know he was on the Vikings, but who was his quarterback at that time?
1: I have no idea. I don't really follow football. Uh-huh. You the yeah.
4: stand because the team he likes.
5: Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry.
1: Boy, I, I gotta tell you, I, I used to be a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, so glutton for punishment here. And uh, over. <laughs> You've got two Washington holdouts on the line
2: with
3: you, sir.
1: <laughs> hey, that's fine. I haven't I haven't really followed the NFL in 20 years. Like, when, when I cared about football, Terry Bratch, I was still active.
2: That's a fair assessment.
4: (laughs) Then I'll forgive you and we'll move on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now we talk in Washington state or Washington DC here,
2: Washington DC.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
2: So you mentioned earlier, and uh, this was when, before we came on the line about, uh, about three's company and I'm looking through, I actually pulled up the manual, for TNM. I was gonna to try to be like you know sneaky and find a, a stumper type question, but you wrote it, so I don't think I could do that. But I did notice in the creation of a referee that you put Stanley Roper. I don't know how I didn't notice that back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Should I put Helen Roper in there instead? Oh
2: my, oh my gosh, that's either one, either one. I just had no idea that you you had an affinity for the uh, for Three's Company.
1: I grew up on Three's Company. I didn't watch any, car- well, hardly any cartoons as a kid, but I did watch Match and Three's Company. Probably didn't even understand half the jokes at the time, especially the more sexual ones. But I just enjoyed the phys- physical comedy in it. And listen, just watching Norman Fell with his face was perfect. <laughs> yeah, break the fourth wall, look right at the camera. Mm-hmm. I loved it. As somebody who's been married, I get it now.
2: <laughs> so I, I got to ask you. TNM's been a DOS-based product for since its inception, since its beginning. And now, of course, we're coming up on Windows 11. And Windows 11 is now starting to get distributed. There was a period of time where I know I was one of the folks that said, hey, what does it look like if TNM goes to Windows? I know that that has to be ridiculously difficult. Can you give us some insight as
1: to how that looked? Well, the biggest issue for me is it's, it's, like, it's like you're a rabbit and you're looking at, a, looking at a snake sitting in front of a snake and you're like, okay, so here's about 700,000, 800,000 lines of code. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm going to have to rewrite every single one of them. How am I going to do this? And then I kind of figure out that I have a life and uh, I have rent to pay. And mm-hmm. it really does not leave a lot of time to start converting and redoing about, again, 800,000 lines of code. So that's kind of a daunting task in a way, which mm-hmm. is why I did TNM Tournament Edition last year. So basically to get to get the basics done, so to speak, to bring the match engine to Windows. To I mean, you've seen the thing. Um, we, we do have a Windows-based match engine, which is really configurable and everything. But the, the main thing that kind of blocked me from, from ever... Pursuing that project properly is the time investment is just so huge, and the payoff, let's be honest, these days is minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, there people have moved away from from wanting to book their own circuits and watch the matches unfold more towards simulating the business behind wrestling. You know what what T W does and EWR did before that. That's more what people like these days. So. My personal, my personal opinion is that it's not worth the time investment because there's zero chance I'm ever going to make back that money that I'm going to lose by not being able to work for clients while I spend time on T N M. Right. If that makes any sense?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the amount of time that you invest to it versus the payoff, not to mention the the pay that you get from your from your actual paying customer, so to speak. Um, you know, it's outweighed. I definitely get that.
1: If I if I had started while I was in college, when you basically have a lot of time and no money, <laughs> it never would have gotten off the ground. And yeah, let's be let's be clear: it's a project that I've worked on for twenty years. If you're going to stretch eight thousand lines of code over twenty years, it's going to be a pretty leisurely pace. If you want to condense everything into one year, that's going to kind of kill you. So so you run it through DOSBox now,
2: and majority of the time. Windows is uh, running with DOSBox with with I'm yeah. sorry with TNM yeah
1: Well every every new piece of code I've done in the past six, seven, eight years has has been Windows based so all the <laughs> plugins now are Windows based and several extensions to the program in itself are now running in Windows for instance TNM was the first wrestling sim to be able to live post to Discord now, so you could follow along with the cards as they develop. That's that's the sort of thing that I'm kind of interested in, you know, just integrating it into modern services in in, in intelligent ways. But the thing is, people, it, it shouldn't be about converting something to Windows these days. It should be about going to mobile. You know, in twenty twenty one, there's really no purpose putting a wrestling simulator or creating a wrestling simulator exclusively for Windows, mm-hmm. because that's not where the money is these days. The issue now is that TNM is very computing intensive because it really runs off a of, off of what people call call AI these days, a neural network that was trained on hundreds of thousands of, of of wrestling matches, and most of you, most phones don't have that kind of computing power. And if they do, Apple, for instance, doesn't allow you to use it. Like I, Apple have actively told me that they wouldn't license T N M to run on 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 iOS.
2: Really. Well- it was the reason from the, from the hardware limits, or what was the reason?
1: Well, mostly because it was going to suck your battery dry in no time. They, they, they are very, very vigilant about protecting people's battery life. Mm-hmm. But I can either simulate a wrestling match or I can't simulate it, but I can't do it halfway. You know. So either I have the computing time and I can do what TNM does, or I don't have the computing time and I can't do it. Because otherwise, I would I would have to come up with a wrestling engine that is vastly inferior, and that people would not be happy with. You know, just to save on some on, on some computing cycles. You know, he, plus Apple 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 also wasn't happy about it being text based because it's all about touch and, you know, looking nice with Apple.
2: Well, I mean, there's a lot of. A lot of crazy applications out there through the Apple Play Store, and I don't know the Apple App Store, and I don't know that they're all aesthetically pleasing. That's for
1: sure. Well, I can only tell you what they told me. Mm-hmm. I, I took it up with Apple. They told me no go. I I wouldn't put in thousands and thousands of hours of work if I had been told off the bat that it wasn't going to was likely not going to be licensed for the for the App Store. Sure. So that, it's a non-starter.
2: Oftentimes, especially now in gaming and in, and in streaming and, and Twitch and everything, you see a lot of collaborations. Have you ever been offered or contacted to collaborate with uh, like Adam Ryland or any of the folks that put together um, Wrestling Empire, for example, with M. Dicky?
1: No, not really. I, I've talked to people off and on, but the only time I really came close to doing a collaboration was with THQ back in the day, the, the video game manufacturer who wanted to license the engine. But before that deal could happen, they kind of went belly up.
2: Mm. Wow. So we could have seen possibly a console edition.
1: Not a console edition, but they wanted to license the logic behind behind coming up with the matches for their wrestling titles. So they could do computer versus computer matches properly. Real. Yeah. Wow. But then, then they went belly up. And I, I hope it wasn't connected. It was. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they should have jumped on the ship and done what they should have done. But hey, well, well...
1: Yeah, well, it is what it is.
2: I mean, THQ's responsible for a lot of gaming from our... Uh, our our glory days, so to speak, of fandom.
1: And if you go even further back than for some of the most horrible games ever put on a console... Remember when THQ was kind of talked about the same breath as LJN
2: yeah the licensing gurus they did uh, bad versions of just about every brand out of the sun
1: exactly but they turned it around gotta be got to be honest they did a, a great job with a lot of the later titles they did but uh, then money just kind of ran out mm-hmm.
2: so what is the oddest device or emulation you've seen when it comes to your program when it comes to M.
1: Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry. only problem is the only problem is all Unix-based versions of DOSBox have a bug in their 64-bit integer arithmetic which which leads to TNM not being able to run. So basically you can't run it on, on, on DOSBox on any platform but Windows or or Intel.
2: Hmm. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued because I actually messaged you once. I had gotten the Raspberry Pi for a couple – actually, during the pandemic. And I was like, wow, that would be cool if I could get TNM to work on this thing. And I remember messaging so, you about it.
1: Yeah, I put a couple of months into, into exploring what we could do on a Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, the emulation for 64-bit integer um, arithmetic is, 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 is faulty. Because the top four bits are not used. They're always considered zero, which kind of screws with TNM's computations. I've got it to run once on an iPad. Which is not Unix-based. That's true. So they use a different core for their DOSBox. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if DOSBox is even still available on, 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 on iOS. I, I, I think I read a couple of months ago that Apple was ta- did take it off the App Store.
2: They're the iDos program. Um, I actually have it still because I bought it when when they added it out. But no, it is not on the Play Store anymore. But it is still updated. They still allow them to update the program. They mm-hmm. just won't allow new downloads, new customers for it.
1: Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Well, the the main issue that I would foresee with that is how do you get get export files in there, for instance? Uh there's ways.
2: There's ways you download it to the uh, file manager, um, and you can navigate your file manager pretty well if you just learn the uh, the paths and the and the mapping, so to speak. It, it
1: takes a little practice. Sounds, sounds like a nightmare.
2: <laughs> How bad do you want it? You know
1: what I mean? <laughs> well, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Since I think 2015, TNM has had a Windows-based server component,
2: which mm-hmm.
1: definitely isn't going to run on an iPad.
2: No, so definitely any,
1: not. Any of the newer builds you would nef- you not would not be able to run on there.
2: No, I think that was uh, the last time I had it on an iPad running was uh, 2011. So it was some time ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sounds about right.
2: So you know, I appreciate you indulging me I'm on the technical aspect because I'm a nerd for it. I gotta I gotta get my <laughs> my moment moment there. So thanks. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts on the on the current product today when it comes to wrestling? I mean, New Japan's doing some great things. Unfortunately, Ring of Honor has uh, just had their, their what may be their absolutely final show. Um and AEW of
1: course with what you've been doing lately. What what do you think of it currently? Um what I like is that it's a smorgasbord of different styles for different people, whether you talk about P W G or or mm-hmm. AEW or Listen, there's people who love Impact. There's people who love WWE. I think it's good to have a variety of things. Um, Personally, I I don't really care about WWE's product these days. I have a hard time even watching Raw or SmackDown for for half an hour or so. But that's mostly about not being invested in the product anymore. So I don't really want to say that it's a bad product, just not for me. And likewise, there's probably going to be people who say that they can't really deal with AEW's product. But would much rather prefer wwe's i think new japan has had a great a couple of great years but they're going to through a really tough period at the time at this time like i i haven't been less than in any g1 as i was last in last years uh this year's i'm sorry it's it's not 2022 yet even though it feels like it
4: um get this year over though
1: yeah most definitely but in general, I think wrestling is in a much better place than it was five years ago, just because there isn't an alternative for people who don't like WWE's programming. Mm-hmm. And again, I love that people love WWE. I love that people love Impact, love Ring of Honor, love everything. Just enjoy whatever the hell you want, and don't Amen. let anybody else ruin it for you. Amen. All right, so I, I have a
5: question. So, me, Rob, and Stan uh, became friends in the the mid '90s, and Stan is the one who introduced me to T and M. And so I literally like (laughs) ran it for for some time, you know, a couple years. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Right, we based an E fed off of it. Uh, We all had created characters that were in each other's, you know, version, you know, games and you could just sit there for hours to play and, you know, dream matches and dream federations and, you know, it, it was it was quite fun and, again, I had my mine ran for several years and eventually because um, I'm not a technical guy, so eventually just got too technical and, you know, getting it installed to get the plugins and all that stuff and I know Stan ran one for some time but as the creator right did did you have a federation that you ran for any length of time or or do you just like work on the version and and then move to the next one
1: well i i did run a wwf circuit for a long time I think it literally got up to 2006, but I, I did book all that stuff in the 90s. It's, it's still up on TNM7.com, but um, interestingly, most of, most of what I put in there was, was, was run before TNM7 even came out. So it's definitely been a while. Um, I, I, do run, I do run pay-per-views beforehand because I sometimes give predictions on them, mm-hmm. and since I really don't have much of a clue, I just let the program run them. But in general, I just use it, use it casually not to book any promotions. I, I honestly don't have the time either. Like, if I if I have a, a three-hour period where I can do stuff, whatever I want, I might sit down in front of the Switch and fire up Breath of the Wild because that actually relaxes me, whereas doing anything connected to wrestling doesn't really relax me. Well, unless it's it's listening to Eddie Kingston promos, but that's a different story.
2: <laughs> he He it might be the best... Good. Yeah, he might be the best promo in the game right
1: now. I am so impressed with that man. I'm so happy for him. You know, I, I've, I've known Eddie for a long, 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 long time, and I always considered him very difficult to work with because he had been screwed over by, by one too many promoters over the years He got really cautious, and just to see him come to AEW and then quickly realize he didn't really have to watch his back anymore all the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he really grew. He really grew in this year. He's become one of the, the locker room leaders, He's become one of the top guys that younger folks talk to in order to learn how to do promos. He's become such an integral part of the promotion. And I I said this on a podcast about two weeks ago. To me, Eddie Kingston is currently the heart and soul of AEW. He may not be the biggest star, but he gives it his all to make people look good. And he has this innate ability to catch your attention within a couple of sentences like the magic he and punk built with one promo mm-hmm. was just in my opinion was was exemplary so i i can't say enough good things about the man and him being with moxley being able to team with mox and aw being forced basically to turn in babyface because he was getting so popular it was one of my few good stories of the year like eddie kingston's rise in 2021 is, is exactly what i needed I'm,
2: I'm just taking all of this in and it's just, I mean, dude, there, there are interviews that I have clamored for and said, I'm going to do this, going to do this, going to do this. And you can ask the guys I've been saying for years, we got to get him on. And it's just, you know, it's, it's always a matter of man, what what do we want to make sure we, we point out. And I got to tell you just from a, and I'm not blowing smoke just from an overall <laughs> fan standpoint I'm sure people have told this to you, but I'm a, I want to make sure that I've told you that you actually played a huge role in my fandom from, like, 93 all the way to current. Because I still have TNM installed on my computer, and I still, every now and again, will run a run a promotion for about six months just to, just to do it. Um, are there guys that work within the industry that tell you, man, I absolutely love your work or, or love your work currently?
1: You know, first of all, thank you very much. It's very, very kind of you. And yes, TNM has opened me so many doors in, in both wrestling and in MMA over the years. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. Like the first time I met Joe Silva, UFC's booker, he was like, wait, aren't you the TNM guy? So basically, <laughs> just, just having people be part of the 90s scene and when, when the World Wide Web first exploded, being part of, of, of wrestling fandom during the Attitude Era. It's opened a ton of doors for me, and, and so many wrestlers have also used it over the years. Like many, 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 many big stars, and just you know, he, hearing nice, nice things said by them is very motivating. But it's not really about people in the industry. I really appreciate people who discover TNM as a fan and just watching how they develop later. Like, for instance, Ryan Neemiller, who you many of you guys probably know from yeah. America's Got Talent. He was one of our original beta testers. Ryan's one of my closest friends. We've been—I mean, like you, Stan—we've known each other for 20 plus years. And then to see him go on to America's Got Talent and have Chris Jericho show up as his as his celebrity friend and just see how things have developed for him—it it it just it warms my heart. There's been so many stories. You know, a couple of folks—they're lawyers now. They are. People are in the entertainment industry. Have become actors. One person is in Congress right now. There's a ton of folks who went into the wrestling industry, mm-hmm. and it blows my mind sometimes to, to to hear from people that they actually grew up using T N M when they're now these big superstar wrestlers at the moment. Like for, for instance, there was this one. There was this one moment where when when Lance Archer was about to debut in AEW, I I did a test run of his match against Cody and I put the finish out on up on the internet and Lance liked it. There was a spot in there where he fired Cody across the ring with a suplex. A couple hours later Lance had his AEW debut and did the same thing to Marco's stunt. That's Just awesome. Just lifted it up at a vertical suplex and threw him halfway across the ring. So there's absolutely zero chance that he didn't see that finish. right? Like it on Twitter and then think, huh, I could use that tonight. And that sort of thing is is something that I just find quite heartwarming, you know, that even in 2021, when it's, quote unquote, just a DOS-based program, it still catches some folks' attention.
2: I know that... There are people all over the world, and and you mentioned Ryan, who uh, it was so cool. I saw him on America's Got Talent and reconnected with him through that. And I didn't put I didn't put the pieces together that he was the same guy until that. And I messaged him on Twitter. I'll never forget him in responding, going, "Oh yeah, I used to do this, this, and this." So it was really cool. Your your, your whole program, the whole thing, this legacy that you've created is. I'm sure you get a lot of kudos to it, but has anybody ever come to you and be like, why did you
1: rate me so low? Yes, absolutely. It literally just happened last week. Oh, really? Literally just happened last week. But thing is, I, I don't create those wrestling sports files. You know, Peter Abraham from the UK does. Mm-hmm. And we do work. He does run everything by me, but when he assesses people's stats, I really don't touch them because he knows more about wrestling today than, than I do. So I just trust his judgment, but yeah, wrestlers. That's one thing that I noticed over the years. People who think you're their friend expect you to always have their back, even when it's not, not warranted. Right. And the same applies to MMA as well. Like I've learned not to get too close to people because they would expect me not to criticize them on commentary. I once had a major row with Michael Bisbing over that because he considered me a friend, but I was doing my job and pointing out that he was being an ungrateful asshole. Oh not wow, using those words. Not using those words obviously. And he really took offense to that. And again, I understand because he was considering me a friend. So it's important not to get too close to people because otherwise you're going to end up in a position where you might be torn between doing the right thing and, you know, being a supportive friend. Mhm. So that's and it's, it's it's interesting that it's not just in competitive sports; it's pro wrestling as well. Like I've literally had pro wrestlers send me amended versions of their export files. Really? They put their stats. They put their stats to all 100s. Of course. <laughs> Obviously. I just that in Madden. Yeah, there you go. Like Doug, Doug Williams, for instance, he was not that person. He always gave me pointers on what what additional moves he had added to his moveset, so I would constantly update his, his version in TNM, and Doug used to be a TNM user of literally from Hour One. That is He's so one cool. of those folks. Bob Van Damme, Stevie Richards, a lot of the ECW locker room back in the day used TNM. Um, I know the Eliminators, for instance, used it to come up with spots, with tag, team, with tag team spots they hadn't thought about. Oh, wow. So there's there's a ton of people who've used it over the years, but... Obviously, most of them in the late '90s, early 2000s. It's rarer these days. Well, it's more the traditionalists who, who long for wrestling the way it used to be and the way mm-hmm. we liked it. Jesus, wasn't that Smoky Mountains tag tagline?
2: Yeah, it was. And well, to go. to their credit, they were ahead of their they were ahead of the game with what they presented.
1: Hundred oh, percent. I really. Well, yes, they were ahead of their game, but they were also behind the game. In terms of being able to be viable long-term, mm-hmm. they were behind the ball. They were behind the eight ball. But I really enjoyed their programming, even though some of the stuff was really puzzling, like Prince Karis the Mummy. <laughs> Anybody remembers? I think it was Ron Rice. Yeah.
2: correctly. That's when he, uh, we, before he debuted as the Yeti. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And The one thing I never got is, what the hell was Jim doing with the gangsters?
2: Yeah, well,
1: he, I mean, he had a vision. He had a vision, most certainly, but it was not a vision that was going to play well anywhere but the South. Right. And even there, even there, we're talking about splitting the crowd there. You know, he was, I, I have no idea what he was going for there.
2: It's amazing to me that that in this day and age of like cancel culture and everything that The stuff that he did back then, because you remember when, when New Jack's episode of Dark Side of the Ring airs, they air a lot of the promos that he was doing in Smoky Mountain. And, I mean, it's amazing they even let it air.
1: I wonder if it's even on the WWE Network in that form. Or actually, isn't it called Peacock now?
5: It is. Yeah, it's on Peacock, yeah.
1: So do they have Smoky Mountain wrestling with those gangster interviews on Peacock? Seriously?
2: I'm now uh, looking at it right this moment. I'm looking it up right now just to verify.
1: <laughs> yeah, I but, know yeah. I know there's a section
5: for Smoky Mountain. Mm-hmm. But I okay. don't think I ever I don't know if I've seen <laughs> see the promos on there.
1: I would be very surprised if they left those those promos on, <laughs> on the service. I mean, I, I was surprised that Vince even put Smoky Mouse on, on, on the network in the first place because he really doesn't like or get Southern wrestling. Or does he like Jim Cornette, but that's a different story.
2: <laughs> well, I don't think Cornette's a big fan of his either. I mean, if we're being honest. Yeah, you, you think? You think? <laughs> he's never said anything, so I'm only guessing. I mean, he's he's not very open, that Jim Cornette guy. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. Well, I, I can say this much. Vince McMahon is not his least favorite Vince. So. No,
2: no, definitely not.
1: <laughs>
2: Oliver, what's next for you, man? I mean, you've done a lot of great stuff, and you're currently doing great stuff. Like, what? What's next for you?
1: That's a good question. I mean, the the media industry is kind of in shambles right now because of COVID, mm-hmm. which is a shoot, by the way, because. Literally, when when COVID started, advertisers started pulling back their budgets by 30 to 40%. And that kind of created a problem for most television stations, whether it's in the U.S. or over here. And the problem with that was that television stations really couldn't scale their cost structure, you know, in in accordance with that. So they've been saving, trying to save money left and right. And the bad thing that happened is the advertisers figured out that despite... Having spent 30 to 40 percent less on advertising, their revenue really didn't go down during the pandemic. So it's kind of the new normal now. So everybody's still scrambling to save money, which unfortunately means that many many projects that people have put in the pipeline are kind of died on the vine during that time, in terms of bringing new programming to TV, taking creative risks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that part's kind of a struggle at the moment. But uh, I've been transitioning. To other things, I've been doing a couple of voiceovers for upcoming movies, um, so that's something that I've been getting into. I I wrote a book last year, but I translated a book, put it this way, but I'm about to write somebody's autobiography. Oh wow! Um, so that's that's coming up for me. We're currently still in negotiations about the terms, but um, I'm most likely going to do that, and I really hope to be getting back to Vegas for Double and Earth Day next year. So that's my 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 short term goal is to get back to double or nothing and some sort of normalcy, you know, because I had such a great time in 2019, at at that show, and I really would love to see that return to Vegas and just have a huge weekend with Dynamite and Rampage, and yeah, that's kind of what what I want to get back to at the moment. Other than that, you know, you got to roll with the punches. You never know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Make the best of of make the best of situation, whatever it is. And the one thing I'm really looking forward to right now is the season of Cobra Kai. Oh, that season four is going to be so good.
2: It's going to be I so heard. good.
1: Listen, when, when, when I saw that they put out a trailer for the first season of Cobra Kai, I hate watched it. Because I thought it, it could only possibly suck. And I watched that trailer and was like, oh my god, this is actually going to be good. And then I watched that first season and it was probably the best thing I had watched in several years. So I'm I'm a hundred percent in with it, with that thing. Plus, I'm really really jazzed about about Netflix starting, um, starting up, restarting the Beverly Hills Cop franchise, and oh really? From what I hear, they're going to start filming in about six weeks. Oh wow! <laughs> they're going to be producing three new three new movies back to back, with the original cast. That's even better. Oh, that's I'm in, including John. John Ashton. Oh, really? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, they, they they purchased the Beverly Hills Cop IP, so they might as well do something with it. That's outstanding. It wasn't. I mean, I, I can't even put the put the put it into words. How annoying the whole Beverly Hills Cop process has been for the past fifteen years now. First, they wanted to do another movie. Then Paramount kind of figured out, yeah, we really wanted blockbusters and we don't think it's going to be a tentpole, so yeah, let's not do this. Let's put it on TV. Okay, so they filmed a television pilot. Then they screened the pilot and it got the best test scores of anything that they had tested in 20 years. With the one note being, it needs more Eddie Murphy. So what do they do? They figure out, huh, if it test that great people want eddie murphy why not do a movie so they went back to writing a movie script and then the pandemic happened and they kind of figured out yeah we really want to go back to doing tent poles and not really go on with projects that don't really have that potential so they sold it to netflix
4: i was going to say you're not going to get eddie murphy to do tv
1: well yeah he's on oh 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 yeah, yeah you're right he was just—he was just supposed to be in a supporting role on the television series. That's true. Was, was supposed to be about his son, who just happened to be a police officer as well, just happened to move to Los Angeles as well. So, not contrived in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> no. Oh. It's like, what are the odds?
4: Well, it's like the—it's like the failed Disney Plus show, Turner and Hooch. That right. supposed to be like. Tom Hanks' son is a cop. What do you think his partner's going to be?
1: Huh? Hooch's son? You know, well, great grandson probably.
4: Uh, even the blind man I, down the street goes saw that coming.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of looking forward to the married and children continuation they've been working on. That kind of intrigued me. You know, it's, uh, basically having Bud Bundy be the main character and be, it be about his family, but everybody's still in the in the show back yeah. in the day Th- that one's going to be interesting to pull off because not a lot of reboots or not a lot of continuations several years in the future have found that much success
4: hmm. yeah i mean i will say that during the pandemic i did watch the Connors, which was the spinoff of roseanne
3: mm-hmm.
4: and i mean it was funny it was you know it was like okay i could see this and it was enjoyable but then you have others that are like, oh, "Okay, we should have just stayed away."
1: It's unfortunately really difficult to to go back to the well 20 years later. Like I, I don't know if you, if any of you guys watched Twin Peaks back in the day, but uh they did another season 25 years later and it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, fiend, fiend type of weird. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Well, I mean, it's like I was, I was just a fan of the Chips TV show growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ponch and John on the motorcycles. Well, they did a TV movie on TNT several years later. And then it's like, all right, if you're a fan of the show, you realize that, all right, this is all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Ponch was coming back to be a cop. And it's like, no, John's the one that left the show. Like,. <laughs>
1: It's almost like they wanted to reboot Happy Days and just, you know, have Henry Winkler dye his hair black again and go back to the well one more time.
4: Yeah. I think any... Henry Winkler would be like, uh, I'll do another Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much.
1: Or, you know what, Henry Winkler did a great show for NBC a couple years ago called Better Late Than Never. Are you, get, any of you guys familiar with it? Mm-mm. <laughs> okay, so it was a travel documentary slash reality show where they sent Henry Winkler, Bill Shatner, George Foreman and Terry Bradshaw out to Asia for 4 weeks and kind of filmed their the hijinks they got into. Oh wow. It, it was legitimately the funniest thing I've seen on TV in forever. And NBC NBC produced that and really didn't believe in the show because, you know, who's going to watch a couple of the old dudes? So they they left it in the on the hopper in the hopper for for about a year and then burnt it off on a Thursday evening. In August, because they figured it wasn't going to draw flies. What happened is that the first episode grew by a factor of six in viewership from the beginning to the end. Wow. And those first four episodes, that, that series, that initial series, ended up being the most successful thing for NBC in that time slot in over 40 years. Holy cow. NBC. Sorry? You hate NBC?
4: No, I said, take that, NBC.
1: Aha. Yeah, exactly. And what did they do? Obviously, they did a second season right away where they pumped up the number of episodes to, I think, like, to eight. But yeah, I, that's one show I really recommend to watch because it's, it's laugh-out funny. Like first, The first episode was Tokyo. The second one was, was Kyoto and Hong Kong. Then they went to Thailand. They went to... It, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Bill Shatner in Asia. I mean, do I need to say more? <laughs> what? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those guys, they really didn't know each other before the show, but you could tell that they that they became friends over the course of those 4 weeks. And what I really enjoyed about the show is that they they shared a lot of time just sitting around and talking about their peers. Winston Shatner saying that he fears he has fears about dying. And that was like five years ago. And he was he was as old as dirt back then. Cause did you know he was born the same year that the Star Spangled Banner became the national anthem? <laughs> that's really? it's a it shoot that's that's it's a truth, yeah. Wow. So he's that old. Or or Shatner explaining basically that he grew up poor in Montreal and that he really didn't find his place in life until he started acting and, and, and realized that in a theater play, he got people in the audience to cry and was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, that sort of introspection you really don't get from watching him on Star Trek panels and doing Boston Legal, or whatever shows he might be up to right now. I kind of enjoyed that. I really appreciate it because they ha- it had raw moments and a lot of comedy. So, yeah. If you haven't seen it, if that's anything that sounds interesting, I, I couldn't recommend it, it any more highly.
4: Well, maybe that explains why when they killed him off in the Star Trek movie, he wrote a book about how he was still alive on the planet.
1: Yeah,
3: exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, oh, See, yeah, I got you. Huh. Yeah. See, when I watched that movie, I was like, okay, nev- never is there ever going to be anything that ruins a franchise more than they did there. And then I watched the last couple of Star Wars movies.
2: Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, I was, I was giving Don't it its moment of silence. I was just going to give it that
3: moment.
1: Can you please cue another 10 bell salute?
2: I can do that for you. For you, sir, anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Did, did you guys see that, that new Star Wars based hotel they're, they're doing at Disney?
5: That's mm, Star- out of my price range. <laughs>
1: Apparently, it's it's also out of the quality range of a lot of people because they've been having cancellations left and right after oh, wow. after putting out the few couple of promo videos where you can actually see the experience and see the hotel. People are opting out of it. It's like, nope, this is not Star Wars. This is whatever this is. It's not Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars meets Zach and Cody. <laughs> the Sweet Life yeah, of, exactly. of Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Hey, honestly if you, the video was so bad that Disney actually pulled it down off of YouTube. Oh wow. Because people were just making fun of it. There's there's a ton of reaction videos. If you if you if you really want to laugh, if you need a good laugh, have a look.
2: <laughs> Time to go down another like, YouTube rabbit hole.
1: Yeah. It's 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 puzzling to me. Like you buy a franchise for a lot of money and then you proceed to not understand anything about it. <laughs> it's kind of like what WCW, what happened to WCW after the WWE bought it.
2: I will but say this. Just buy it and kill it. I, I am grateful that they that they didn't try to do a WCW one-night stand kind of thing because it would have just been... It would have been difficult. It would have been painful, I think.
1: It would have been because if, if, if Booker T and Marcus Alexander Bagwell, your top two guys, are going to bring in yeah, your Europe. It's, a, it's an uphill battle for you. I mean, just, just look at what, what AEW did with Sting in 2021. You can't tell me that they couldn't have had Sting in 2002 and done great business with them if they, if they hadn't had their, their, their head stuck up their asses so badly.
2: It still astounds me that, you know, they. I understand you've got to save money somewhere, but if you're going to buy a property like that, you've got to recognize the earning potential. And put some investment to it. You don't just sit there and go, okay, we'll just take whose contracts
1: are up. And who's cheap, who comes cheap.
2: Right, right. I mean, I get it. Like, you're saving money at some point, but you just had an IPO the year prior that was probably unheard of at the time. But it put them into the billionaire status with a B. So something was going right. And this is long before we got the quote-unquote budget cuts of the COVID era. We're really talking about, you know, a lot of different different things that they could have done well. Hey, quick update. Peacock does have Smoky Mountain Wrestling, ten episodes from season three. The last two episodes have the gangsters highlighted.
1: Huh. That is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ten episodes, probably a runtime of eleven minutes each, right? Uh, 39
2: minutes, 30, uh, 45 minutes, 38. So it looks like com- fairly complete
1: episodes, which... Well, um, they, used, they, they used to be 45 minutes and 30 seconds, so whatever is missing. <laughs> so they definitely made some edits.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's probably some folks that did not sign off on having their stuff rebroadcast, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, probably or Peacock's like, we're getting rid of this, mm-hmm. we're getting rid of that... Oh, by the way, we yeah. don't care about you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that could be. Uh, so I'm not sure Peacock Peacock really cares all that much. I mean, WWE's not that big a property for them right now. It's I mean, good it's to NBC have NBC
4: Universal, so NBC Universal's like uh, what you got.
1: Yep.
4: It's kind of like tr- what we just talked about, Disney and... Star Wars, you know, Star Wars is just a drop in the bucket of what the empire that they own.
1: Hmm. That's true. We're we're a lot more invested in the content usually than the content owners are. That's true. That's true. Whether, Oliver. Whether it's TV shows or, 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 or sports or entertainment.
2: I got to say, I am... Um... I mean, I mean, I'm really, I could, I could talk to you all night, dude. But I, I, look at my clock and I know that it's getting later and later by the moment for you. <laughs> I feel bad, but thank you so much for your time tonight. I really do want to tell you how much we appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not often we get an opportunity to just shoot the breeze with somebody that uh, literally provided something that we're it's still getting used today. <laughs>
1: Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's not that I have anything good to do anyway, so we can keep going. No problem whatsoever. Oh, okay. I have about I got about six hours before I have to be back in studio, so that's fine.
2: Oh wow! Okay.
1: <laughs> well, I I will
2: ask you a we bit about do thirty
3: more minutes. Let's go. <laughs> I, I'll ask you
2: about <laughs> some some current events here. Um, I only ask this because I see in. Um, in your Discord that folks have been talking about uh Bloodhunter, the guy from Hannibal. Um have you had a chance to see this clip where the wrestler had basically just assaults and attempted murder on a on a referee.
1: I've seen it and again it's it's quite apropos for this person. I have nothing but disrespect for the man.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: For those listening at at home, what we're talking about is uh TMZ actually uh, aired this through their website. Uh a gentleman by the name of Bloodhunter, uh he goes by Hannibal, he's on Hannibal T V on YouTube. Um and I only say that because I want to give proper context to the story, not give any kind of glorification to the guy's name. Uh anyhow, there was a planned planned matchup between him and uh Carlito and there was a planned attack that was going to take place on a referee. The referee was aware. He was supposed to basically have color in the match, and that was the plan. However, um, what happens there is, and this is from uh, Fightful.com. Sean Ross Sapp did a great piece on this today, so if you get an opportunity, you should definitely check it out. Um, Anyhow, he basically goes to comes to the ring, you can tell that he's not completely there, not completely with it and proceeds to go by the plan. However, in in the unfortunate aspect of the plan, uh he pulls a spike, tries to get the guy to to blade and it just does not go right. And then he gets angry and proceeds to just continuously stab this guy in the head. Now, there's a lot of wrestlers including uh Chris Jericho to to say just to put it put it lightly there. There's a lot of people reaching out as far as putting support for the referee. There's a GoFundMe out there. Uh, I believe I've retweeted it from both ours and also from my own personal Twitter. But it was just a, a crazy thing that unfortunately still happens today. The only thing close to this that I can recall is when um, I believe it was Sexy Star got into it with someone in AAA and broke broke a young lady's arm.
4: I remember that. That was gross. It was, and I liked Sexy Star at the time. Ding. That was that was
2: that was disappointing to see somebody that had done so well with Lucha Underground, and then to see her come out and, and to do that to somebody was just horrible.
1: And nobody should ever take liberties with their opponents or any other people involved in the match. Mm-hmm. That's just my personal opinion. But um, again as far as Devin Nicholson is concerned I remember what he tried to do to Abdullah You know, claiming that, that Abdullah gave him hepatitis C and it really negatively affected Abdullah and he wasn't in good health anyway but imagine getting your name dragged to the mud the entire time for, for a period of several months because somebody makes a claim that ended up not being, not being true so I really don't have any, any respect for that man and i really f- I, I really feel the less said about him the better cuz he craves attention that's really all he wants yeah don't give it to him yes Dan <laughs> no that's not what that's not what i mean I, it's just when no, somebody tries you, to Damn, <laughs> when, when somebody when somebody tries ridiculous shit just to keep his name in 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 the media and keep his name relevant it's it's sad it's it feels like enzo only with a lot less talent
2: (laughs) at least enzo's entertaining i mean he's a little scary sometimes i wonder if he realizes it's a work sometimes but at least
1: he's entertaining he is so high strung but he feels like somebody who's been coke binging for the past 25 years (laughs) good lord okay
2: I don't. I don't know that I'd have gone down that road, but okay.
1: <laughs> have you seen how hyper that man is? Twenty four seven, it's ridiculous.
2: I mean, every so video he puts out, been he doing is. Coke, I'm
1: just saying he's acting yeah. like he's been doing coke for twenty five years. Right, right. No, no, no. I, I, I got I'm just you. Glad you. Don't hold back. <laughs> I mean, he, he, and and Cass were entertaining. Don't get me wrong, but uh, when when they they did that angle with New Japan and Ring of Honor, ugh. Uh-huh. That was cringeworthy. He's lucky he
2: didn't get more out of that in a negative sense from getting his ta- his tail kicked.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And a lot of people, trust me, a lot of people in the WWE locker room wanted to be the ones who kicked his tail. Mm-hmm. And in, in the older days, he would have gotten the Outback Jack treatment. But um, it's a different era and people people aren't as bullying as they used to be. I mean it's uh, did you
2: get it did you see the
4: stop <laughs> bullying
2: did you see the incident with Seth Rollins and uh, and the fan that did a mad sprint and took him down
1: that that was scary mm-hmm. like how do you handle that properly what, what was Seth supposed to do he, he couldn't quite kick his teeth in or anything right so he did what he could he pulled guard he took him in a guillotine but um, yeah that that was a massive security failure and it, it could happen to any promotion really it's ha- it's happened to AW that a fan tried to jump in the ring but he ran into chris jericho and mgf so that's a bad day for him.
2: <laughs> yeah that's not going to go the way you planned that's for sure
1: and, and they're not going to put you in a they're not going to put you in a headlock you're going down
2: yeah yeah i remember when jericho basically connected with the guy's jaw thinking to myself yeah that's that's proof positive you never cross that, that barrier.
1: He was just lucky. He was Minoru Suzuki.
2: Oh. I don't even know if I'd want to imagine what Suzuki would have done to him. Jeez.
1: That's, that's By the way, that's another thing that I really loved this year. Having Suzuki show up in AEW and do that match with Brian Danielson. Like, literally on a, on a tweet. Oh, by the way, we're going to have Suzuki and Danielson on, on YouTube. I'm like, What? I didn't have that on my bucket list for twenty twenty one, but I'll take it.
4: <laughs> yes, please. We'll can I have some more?
1: Yes, yeah. that's the another thing that I really appreciate about AEW is how they treat the Japanese stars. Like when 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 they had Yuji Nagata come in and he got the great Goldberg entrance, and it really felt like a big deal to have him come in to wrestle John Moxley. I am kind of I am kind of a mark for for um, for giving people respect, you know, even if, they were, if they're not homegrown. And just seeing Nagata back in the U.S., back on U.S. television and being treated as a legend, as opposed to being treated as a joke, mm-hmm. that really meant something to me. Or seeing Tali Blanchard back in the ring in 2021. Like when, when he was in that six-man tag and J.J. Dillon walked him out, I felt like a kid all over again. Yes.
2: That's something that AEW has done so well from 2019 all the way to today. Every single time they bring someone in, there's just this air of what's going to happen next. It's not a oh god, what are they going to do to this guy. It's a, I can't wait to see what they what happens with this guy. You know, um, people have talked about. Suzuki in that light, where, where they were just so blown away between him and Danielson in that matchup. I mean, if you needed a way to reintroduce the world to what Brian Danielson is truly capable of, and that, that's not a small feat because of, of everything that was done in the Daniel Bryan era, I mean, that what better matchup do you have?
1: I was so happy with everything they did with Daniel Bryan in the beginning. Like i I still am obviously, because he's wrestling hangman on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Another thing I didn't have on my bucket list of 2021, but I'll take it. <laughs> but yeah, he, he was low-key, the MVP of the past three months, I think, from, from that that amazing match against Kenny in New York, to the Suzuki match to um yeah, everything he's done. I, I was a big fan of, of the match he had with John Silver last week. I, I would probably would love to see those guys go 20 minutes with each other. They,
2: The way that John Silver performs is so fast. You know, it honestly reminds me of a younger Rey
1: Mysterio. Wow. I mean, size-wise, well, height-wise, I think you're pretty close there. The The, the problem is that I'm not sure what you can do with the guy. He's really popular, but he's very short and stocky. So there is, he has a visual that, that people don't really have otherwise. So he could be a powerhouse, but also a fast guy, a flyer. I just don't know what his ceiling is in AEW. What do you think?
2: I feel like with, with Silver, you've got a guy that... Tag team wise, with him and Alex Reynolds, you've got a lot of potential there for them to win the titles. I think he could potentially win the TNT. I don't know that they would put him any higher, and, and I'm not saying that in a negative sense. I'm just saying I don't know that he would actually be elevated up to that top top spot. Yeah,
1: I, I've kind of enjoyed what Silver and Reynolds have been doing with Adam Cole on being the elite, mm-hmm. and I, I personally would love I would love to see Adam Cole being forced into a a trio situation with, with those two. Just because you know he, he hates being around them so much, in storyline, obviously, I think that he could mind that for comedy. But I think that's also the big problem. That the biggest potential I see for those guys is in a comedy role, unfortunately, because they're so good at it. And you can't feature everybody. That's the thing. If you push everybody, you're, pu- you're pushing nobody.
5: But to to me, though, that's the joy of AEW. Even though, like, with Silver, he may never um, push too far up the the card. But with their program, they do this weird, wonderful thing about getting them time through, like, being the elite or dark or elevation, where at least you, you... you you know they're still on the roster.
1: Mm. And
5: well, first, where's oh good
1: no please go you go ahead. Oh,
5: I was gonna say where's like the WWE where you know you had so many people that you know are on the roster that they never get like seen. And to me it's it, it's like AEW is gonna give you an opportunity to at least, you know try and. Have nothing else become, you know, more over than you were when you walked in the door.
1: That's true. Here's the thing: I I'm a really big fan of what they did with Hangman in the Dark Order, and I know that's a controversial topic because a lot of folks say that he should go nowhere near the quote unquote jobbers. But I feel that the entire entire storyline of him being disappointed by his friends, so the Bucks and Kenny, and then finding new friends who who really don't want anything from him but his friendship. I thought that was a really really strong story and I think I think that everybody came came out ahead in this one. It gave the dark order something to do after Brody's passing. It kind of brought out John Silver as this 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 comedic genius in a, in a way because he got a chance to do this on dynamite not just on BTE. So it kind of worked out for the best for everybody and it, if the worst thing that I can say about the dark order is that Colt Cabana is getting hidden. I think that's pretty high praise. But when you have a, such a big roster, you really are forced in a way to cycle people in and out. And I think what, what a lot of folks don't like is that people are on TV for a couple of weeks and then they're gone for a month or two. But I would like to turn that around personally. If, once the pandemic dies down, and they can actually send their wrestlers to Japan again, send them to different promotions again, I don't think that it's going to be a bad thing to have people cycle in and out of the roster back like they did in the territory days, because it keeps right. everybody fresh.
5: But, I, but that, I think that's part of like the the issue, right? So, growing up in the '70s and '80s and used to the territory system right and knowing that you know say the rock and roll express are here for because uh, i grew up on the the, the um nwa uh, the carolinas and so you may have the rock and roll express here for a little bit and then they may go somewhere else and it, to me i'm kind of used to that right where somebody's on tv for a few weeks and then you may not see them for a few weeks and I maybe the newer fans who never experienced that, uh, you know, just aren't used to it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, even if you go back to WWF back in the mid 80s, you didn't have everybody on every show every week. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that it made people feel more special because you knew when when Hulk Hogan was going to appear, you were only going to get him on TV maybe four or five times a year. So when whenever he went on TV, it meant it was appointment viewing, and I think if you manage to do that again, that's a good thing. I'm not sure if you can do it again, but I feel that it's worth a try.
5: Oh, I agree. I I mean, I personally enjoy the way AEW books, uh, you know, their shows as far as like talent, Mm because like Miro, right? So Miro was in the forefront for a little bit. And now he's cutting promos, but these promos are really good. And so, I, you know, I'm just kind of waiting and anticipating the, the next time he wrestles. And you know, to me, I, I like that.
1: Mm. You know, see, I I don't know this for a fact, but my gut feeling is that those promos were gonna they were going to lead to him being in the ring and doing a promo on his god. And asking him to send him a sign when Okada's music hits. No, oh my no, gosh!
5: You can't say that on, on, <laughs> the, on the the eve of getting FTR versus the Briscoes. Yeah, oh my gosh, You this now would be tease awesome. me with Miro and Okada. Well, yeah. You can't do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it is. It is pretty interesting to see that that it seemed very focused on one thing. And when the Japan travel ban happened again, Miro kind of got pivoted to something else. So I think it was a fake out to push Okada as being part of Best Friends. And I think he was supposed to be the one to be Miro's god sign for Miro. But again, I don't know this for a fact. It's just a gut feeling based on based on a lot of talks with people in Japan as well who said that Okada was going to be U.S.-bound soon.
5: Right. But again,
1: but, I, I don't know this for a fact, but it would make a lot of sense, and would it would make the whole thing pay off properly.
5: Right, right. Well, I mean, hopefully hopefully the restrictions will ease, because I, I would love to see Okada here in the States and in and, and a place like AEW that would probably... Give him some liberties, you know, let him, uh, you know, be his New Japan self, wouldn't try and mold him into something he wasn't or anything. And, I mean, the, the matches with some of these guys in Okada are very intriguing.
1: But At the end of the day, Tony Khan is a wrestling fan, so I think he would give Okada a lot of respect. Yeah. And there's, there's guys lining up to wrestle people like Okada and Minoru Suzuki Suzuki and Tanahashi once he makes his debut, etc. Oh my gosh, Tanahashi and AEW. He was supposed to wrestle Moxley but that had to be moved. Hmm. He even sent in a promo to wrestle Moxley where he challenged Moxley. It's just there's so many great matchups still to come. It's so crazy. I mean, I was a big fan of having Tomohiro Ishii over, even if it was just one match as well. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I I'm a big fan of those old Japanese guys. I mean, i I remember I remember Eugene Nagata being over here in Germany for half a year, and putting on fifty pounds, and Finley getting in massive trouble with AEW with with New Japan afterwards because he was supposed to look after him and make sure that he eats right. But what's Finley going to do? I mean. Nagata just loved his German bread So he, he basically got a bakery to sponsor him And they didn't even pay him They just gave him as much free bread as he wanted So he put on 50, <laughs> he put on 50 pounds of, of not muscle mass Over, over those six months <laughs> like, The German territory back in the day CWA, Catch Wrestling Association Was insane You could go, like, they, they, had, they had A series of shows Going over six weeks Where they, they wrestled in the same town every night and you drew from the same base audience every night. So they had to get really creative and give people different things in order to get them to come back. So you might end up with you know, Vader taking ahead. off... You might end up with Vader taking off somebody's head one day and then Terry Funk wrestling 2 gold Scorpio the next. And then the next day you'd have, let's say, Great Muta against against uh, Scott Hall or, or see Fit Finley have a bloody 20-minute war against Jushin Lager. I mean... It was crazy back then. Everybody came in, especially the younger guys.
5: So let me ask you this. As, as growing up, again, from the 70s and 80s and, be, and being a world-class fan, right? So world-class uh, would throw the big super cards. I believe it was world-class. A, yeah. AWA would get involved um, and some of the other federations. What are you thoughts if they were to pull one off now? Say Impact, NWA, AW, New Japan, you know, once all this COVID stuff uh, plays out and, they, you know, some restrictions are lifted, what what, what would you want to see on a Supercard for, like, a main event?
1: Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. Are we yeah, talking yeah. about? Are we talking about in terms of box office potential or my personal your personal, my personal dream matches?
5: Personal dream match again using AEW, New Japan, NWA, Impact, AAA. I guess you could throw in the mix because you know through AEW they're all kind of you know linked together and probably slowed by COVID as, as putting on one of these shows. But if it ever comes to pass, who? would – What would be your personal main event out of these rosters?
1: You know what? This is going to be a really outside choice, but I would love to see a main event of Okada against Eddie Kingston. Ooh. Because Eddie is such a huge fan of of 90s Japanese wrestling. And if anybody from AEW's roster was able, with the exception of Brian Danielson, was able to replicate that style. I would say it's Eddie Kingston, and I know Okada, for instance, would love to wrestle that guy. I know Okada's a huge fan of his, and I'm not joking. Like I know he loves Eddie Kingston.
2: Hmm, that's an intriguing matchup. Just seeing the, I know it's
1: probably, it's, it's probably a dog shit match if you look at it on the surface. But there's so ma- there are so many layers to it that could make it interesting.
2: Well, that's why it's kind of an intriguing thought process because, I mean, Okada has only been in, in a few situations where he's really had to brawl. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of positivity coming out in, in, into that matchup idea because that could be a whole other dynamic. Now, granted, it's not what you would do all the time with Okada, but I think the... I don't want to say novelty cuz that almost makes it sound bad, but the the sheer newness of it would be interesting.
1: I agree. And perhaps if you really want to go to the garbage wrestling route, you could also do Moxley and and Eddie against Unita and somebody in a explosive barbed wire death match cuz they really still get need to get that out of their system in my <laughs> opinion. Well, they got it, <laughs> they um, got yeah. at least do the explosion, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I thought it was it was just comically bad. I felt so bad for poor Eddie Kingston having to sell that. But to be fair, he, he kind of brought it around the next on the next show, like the next episode of Dynamite when he did that interview, selling, saying he had PTSD, <laughs> and that's why he kind of passed out. But Jesus Christ, man, I'm sorry. That was that's that was a true true mania moment.
5: So I'll agree, right? So I, I I I watched it, right? And it it, it was like when Eddie, uh, you know, went out. It was at first when I watched it, it was kind of like, oh wow, th- you know, this is this this is maybe overplaying it too much. You know what I'm saying? But then as I as I think about it afterwards, I'm like that's that's almost perfect for me anyway, as a fan that it would be taken to that extreme to where he literally, you know, fakes like he, I don't know fakes but anyway, you know, he, he sells this to the point where it appears that they have to bring him back around. And to me, it shows, you know, kind of what a, you know, a professional Eddie is. Yeah. You know, that I
3: just,
5: even though they go did ahead. go off, he still sells it to that point.
1: But that's the thing he doesn't know at that point, because his, right. his his face is down, his hands are over his ears. He doesn't know that the explosion kind of fizzled out, so <laughs> unless the referee tells him, right. stop selling, yeah. <laughs> get up, it didn't happen. Yeah. I, 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 get, just, I, I just... I just felt bad for it because it could have been such an iconic moment. Eddie Kingston saving his friend who he'd been shooting with for a year. You know, coming right. out to, to save his life, quote-unquote. And it ended up being such a meme.
5: Yeah. But again, though, when I saw it, it was kind of like, ah, you know, they blew it. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, this is,
1: this, this is great. Yeah. You know,
3: that,
5: it... that, that,
1: that moment would have been great with Dan Housen on a commentary instead of Jim Ross. And just going... So good. So evil. <laughs> like, playing it's the comedy of it, you know? Because you, you just know that Jim Ross was, was, was motioning like he was stabbing himself at that very moment.
2: <laughs> I'm so glad you brought so up Danhausen because
1: he's awesome. I'm staring at him right now. Um, but not literally him, but there's a, there's a shirt of his being hung up to dry. That Batman design with his face in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah, creepy. It's it's one of my favorite shirts, and I, I don't I don't have wrestling shirts. I have two wrestling shirts. One is that Danhausen shirt, and the other is that Eddie Kingston redeemed these nuts shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great line, by the way, completely ad libbed.
2: It just speaks volumes for the talent mm-hmm. of Eddie Kingston. I mean, when you really think about it, his ability to adapt on the fly is unheard of. The guy, the guy, he cut a promo on a bag of Sour Patch Kids. Who does that?
1: Oh, I, I I'm <laughs> being, I'm being the Elite, right? Yeah, it was awesome. And, and that's a th- that's the thing that people don't don't really know that people like Eddie Kingston and Jake Roberts are actually mentoring. Any of the younger guys backstage, and, and how to cut promos, and how how to pr- project psychology. Jake, for instance, is, is invaluable in terms of what he did for Bert Baker, in terms of getting getting her into her character and un- making her understand the intricacies of being somebody and projecting an image. And people are going to be very surprised when Jungle's boy boy actually starts speaking. I'm only going to say that much.
2: He shows. Yeah, well, he shows. I mean, Spots a promise, I think. I mean,
1: he, Jungle Boy. He, yes, he doesn't like he doesn't like to speak. That's true. It's, he, he doesn't want to cut promos, but he's been working with with a couple of the best promo guys in the business for for a year and a half now. So, once he does pull the trigger, people are going to be very surprised. Likewise with Hook, by the way. Just because he hasn't said much doesn't mean he can't.
5: but that was a very good debut.
1: I actually thought about any debuts that I thought were stronger, and I couldn't come up with many. Like the only debut I could really come up uh, come up with off the top of my head was Junakiyama's debut, which was on that level. Otherwise, I'm drawing a blank. What, what do you guys got? It was
2: the a debut that that. I didn't expect to be as crazy as it was like the hype that goes behind Send Hook like that comic that that CM Punk makes during his uh, his promo opposite Taz. You, you still don't really know, you know, he's training, but you really just don't know what you have in this kid. And then you start reading that he's training and That people are really impressed with him. And then you find out that that was legitimately his first legitimate matchup. Like, wait. So this is the first time he's ever stepped in a ring. And he's this crisp. He's this smooth. You got a real, real pillar type presentation here.
1: Dustin Rhodes told me a year ago that he had not been in the ring with somebody with that much raw wrestling talent since, Rick, since Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And I thought it was hyperbole because he was training hook. But I'm not so sure anymore. Like That that guy has serious potential, and I, I hope they bring him along right. I mean, Fuego Del Sol was a, was a perfect opponent for him for his first match because Fuego was there for everything perfectly. But, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see where it goes, and I, I know that, that Taz must have been beaming with pride that night. I mean, imagine being able to do commentary for your son's wrestling debut. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the, nobody's hiding that they're father and son. That's the other thing. No, it's I fully embraced. It
5: was funny when uh, uh, what gun was it? Austin. I think it's Austin Gunn put out the tweet, you only got that match because of who your father was.
1: <laughs> See, the gun Club, I, I've low-key enjoyed those guys more than I should have the past year and a half. Yeah. Even during the, during the pandemic shows at Daily Space, those kids made such a, a huge amount of noise on every show. Like mm. You can tell that they enjoy watching wrestling as much as wrestling.
5: Yeah, I mean they have AEW has a tremendous crop of talent, future talent. You know that it's only a matter of time before they get the reins. And, and to me, I'm pretty sure they're going to keep pushing AEW
1: forward. I would hope so. And and the thing I like is you have you have the Hangman generation, which is basically the big generation now. Then you have the four pillars, and. You can even make an argument that they're already building up the next four pillars, and people like Dante Martin, mm-hmm. uh, Lee Moriarty, um, what's his what's his name, Daniel Garcia, mm-hmm. now now with Hook. Like it's it's like you have different different waves of of, 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 of pillars, so to speak. And I, I really look forward to the day when they can when they can send over many of the women to start him again. I would love to see Anna J and, and Ty Conti be sent to Japan for a couple of months because they would really benefit from having matches every other day. I think Ty Conti, for instance, is is the wrestler in AEW with the most upward potential that hasn't been realized yet. I keep picking her to win the title
2: against Britt, and I keep I keep failing in those picks.
1: <laughs> yeah, well I she may not be ready yet. I mean she has more fire than a lot of the other women and she definitely has a lot of raw potential, but she just needs repetition repetitions. And right now it's difficult to really get all those matches in to grow as a performer.
2: Well, especially when you're limited travel wise, that's true.
1: So I, I really think that a lot of people would benefit from being, from being sent to Japan on both the male side and the female side, you know, just to get different style to, to learn different styles, to just understand to work with different audiences. I mean, a lot of those folks never really wrestled in front of an audience until Dynamite started going back on the road. Let's let's be clear. Anna Jay had never had a professional match in front of an audience before that.
3: Really?
1: I didn't know that. Well, yes, yeah. she came along in the pen, during the pandemic. She had her first wrestling match in AEW. Wow. On TV, I think do, doing a job for was it Britt? I'm, I'm not sure about that, but she, she left a really big impression in her first match. Kind of like Alan Angels when he wrestled Kenny Omega.
2: I never knew that about Anna J. That's crazy.
1: Anna legitimately has had like 20 matches in her life. Wow. And a lot of the trainees from, from Dustin and QT and Cody's school... Like, again, Alan Angels, they, they never really did much before AEW. They were basically in training and wrestling on the local independent scene at most. But Anna Jay was legitimately just a fresh recruit, as was Preston Vance, 10. A lot of those folks never really did wrestle before that. Wow. Or Julia Hart. Julia Hart is still very young as well. She's still very unexperienced, inexperienced. Inexperienced. All those folks, could you really use the reps can you imagine having Dante Mart be part of a, a super junior tournament in New Japan
2: oh my gosh he'd be amazing
1: or even Darby Allen although I know that Darby Allen is at a level star right now where they wouldn't probably wouldn't want to put him with the light heavyweights but imagine a Darby Allen against Dakota Ibushi oh wow I mean it would absolutely crazy and there's a ton of folks who may not even have the big names who could do great matches in Japan. Even people like the Butcher and the Blade would they would get over so big in Japan. I I'm not even kidding. Butcher in particular cuz he looks like an old school pro wrestler. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I feel bad for him because he's been through so many injuries. I mean, the guy just he just he he personifies that that Bruiser Brody kind of th- approach and it's it's uh, it's sad because he just keeps running into injury after injury.
1: He's he's an older dude and he's been mm. living the rock and roll lifestyle for twenty years. Even though he hasn't been in the ring much, um he's had his his body has mileage on it, put it this way. And he's actually a good musician, other than Chris Jericho. Like unlike Chris Jericho. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well and I'm I... not dumping
1: on Jericho. Love the
2: dude. Now, it, you know, I read that he was actually told by doctors over in the UK that uh, he should not sing. And some people on Twitter were kind of giving him a hard time about that. <laughs> he,
1: they may not be wrong, but he's, he's an entertainer. Even yeah. if he didn't sing, he would still rock the house. I mean, just, just an, even if he was just on stage during Judas, people would still go wild for it. If he didn't even sing, he could milly Vanilli the whole thing and people wouldn't care.
4: Lame it on the rain.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jericho is also another one of those cases. I mean, how do you not have that guy be a first, a literal first pick Hall of Famer these days? How many folks have had more longevity than he has?
2: Not many, if any. I mean,
1: he was so important to AEW's early success.
2: Yeah, I mean, the. We've had. Go ahead.
4: We've had that talk on this show often about how, you know, that we think that putting the title on him from Jump was what gave them instant credibility.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was coming off that run with New Japan. He was the hottest thing on the, on the independent scene. And look, he's a veteran. He made Sammy Guevara. Like Cody made Darby Allen.
3: I that's mean, very true. Imagine
1: being mentored by Chris Jericho. Imagine being mentored by Chris Jericho. See, see, see what you want about his political positions, but um, the guy is creative. He's incredibly talented. He's been around the block. He knows every style under the sun. If you're a young guy, that's the guy you want to latch on to. Mm-hmm. And he, he got Sammy to get rid of that stupid panda head as well. That was pretty and stupid.
4: Get him to stop standing there with his it, that panda head was great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, Sammy. Sammy doesn't seem very likable as a baby case, does he?
5: No, he's definitely. I I'd like him better than quasi heel. Mm-hmm.
1: I kind of enjoyed, I mean, I, I shouldn't really say this, but I kind of enjoyed his feud against Matt Hardy, even though it probably took five years off of Hardy's career.
5: Mm, that's for sure.
1: Like, those two probably shouldn't be in the same ring together, ever.
5: Because it wasn't just once. It was, it was, like, twice, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, first, the yeah. chair to the face. That gave him the huge kick. Yeah.
3: Then,
1: the, then that, that tackle off of, was it a crane or what was it?
2: off the scaffold it's, yeah where he smashes his head on sca- the ground yeah
3: yeah,
1: yeah. and then it was bad. the
5: chair shot mm-hmm. the... <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: yeah see sometimes those happy accidents really make people just just look back to, to Britt Baker's match against Thunder Rosa and that bloody visage she, she had that they put on a shirt mm-hmm. it really put her over as being tough and not just funny
3: and,
1: and, really and t- should
5: we bring up Brit a lot too, right? From where, she, like when we first saw her at that first pay per view, and the evolution that you actually get to watch with her, yeah. And then, so you realize when uh, what the, her nose gets busted,
3: mm-hmm.
5: and and she's coming back and she's cutting these promos, and and then you are starting to be like, well, she's she's pretty good on the mic, right? So you start to pay attention. And then she gets back in the ring, and she's so much better than when you last saw her. And then she puts on what is a classic with Thunder Rosa. And to you know to win in the title and where she is now, I mean, I've enjoyed her evolution.
1: The thing that I love most about the whole Brit character is her friendship with Tony Schiavone. <laughs> I mean have you ever in pro wrestling history had a babyface announcer be best friends with a dastardly heel it just doesn't make sense you know but it works and it's legitimate it's, it's not something they put on for the storyline it's something that happened in real life and they decided to run with on screen oh, gosh. The whole Adam, a- adding Adam Cole to the whole mix now is, was also perfect
2: and honestly, I can't wait to see what they do with that next. Like, if Tony Schiavone's, uh, I think, was it his son that, that's training to be a wrestler? If he gets involved, like, there's a lot of options for that.
1: Yeah. I, I loved how, how Adam Cole went to do guest commentary the other week, and Tony kind of sat six feet away from him just to put distance between the two. It, it just, it just kind of works. It's like life imitating art imitating life.
2: Yeah, it really has been.
1: And speak about to speak on the brit baker thing you just said i remember talking to adam cole about a year ago and asking if he ever wanted to come to AEW, and he was like well i really don't want to upstage brit and about six months ago he sent me a text and said okay i can come to AEW now because she's the bigger star than i am
5: mm. it, i mean i think she's the like one of the only ones that i can recall that like when you first see her you're like why is she even in the wrestling you know her performance just wasn't good in that uh, first match on that first pay-per-view but now you're like holy cow
1: I think she wasn't comfortable being a baby face which is funny because she's, she's a really nice person mm-hmm. but I thought what they did was the magic started when they put it together with Rebel
2: yeah and yeah.
1: she started calling her Reba Not even remembering her own assistant's name And it kind of turned into a thing And that kind of allowed Brett to show her personality more And I feel that it made her feel Stronger as a performer And she still needs Good good opponents She's not the type of Ric Flair type of wrestler That can carry anybody But give her a good dance partner And you can end up, end up with magic
2: yeah and i mean that's that's the goal like right now what we're what we're seeing and what we're getting a chance to witness with AEW is just such a rebirth of of things that we've wanted to see for a long time and, and i i gotta tell you it's amazing um you know what oliver i I could honestly talk to you like this whole time we could we could do this for four hours and and still not be through with all of the different topics we could run through but I want to, I want to uh, go ahead and, and bring this to a close. At least this chapter, this chapter will bring to a close. I want to say thank you again so much for your time. I mean, you've given us just so much to do and so much. To, you've really taught us a lot, too, which is really cool. Um, but you can catch up with Oliver on social media at uh, Oliver Cop and also TNM7Sim on Twitter, uh, tnm 7 is it TNM7Sim on Facebook as well?
1: Well, first of all, thank you guys for, for, for bringing me on. I had a, had a great time, and I literally could go on for hours and hours with you guys. So maybe there's going to be a repeat performance in the future at some point.
5: Don't tempt us.
1: Oh, we'll I, do it. I would love
5: that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing next, brother? <laughs> <laughs> well, you... Maybe we should get back together for the AEW versus New Japan card.
2: Oh, man. I'm telling you that we will certainly, certainly do. I will make sure that we get that done. We will get that booked. Um, Folks, thank you so much for listening. You've had a very cool opportunity here to just really listen and learn from a guy that's had experience and really influenced so much of our fandom. You can catch up with him at TNM7.com for all of your wrestling simulation needs. Uh, he's, He's He's broadcasting for AEW. He's broadcasting for all of these different really cool projects that just I'm at a loss. And uh, I know that we're at time, but God, this has just been awesome. Thank you so much, Oliver. Really, I appreciate
1: it. Thank you guys so much. And remember, stay evil. (laughs) <laughs> Stay please, evil. please bring Dan Housen to AEW oh please please
2: catch up with Rob
1: on Twitter at, our,
2: at Rob Hefner C2C catch up with Brian at Vlad Dragoul C2C and of course I'm at Stan Grub everywhere God, the, blah. <laughs> the show at C2C God, radio God, show
3: God, go blah blah, blah.
2: <laughs> and with that we will see you next time thanks again everybody have a great night
1: Sounds like it's a wrap.